Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome back to The Foreign Desk. I'm Lisa Deftari with a special edition of our podcast today. For those of you who have been following me for a while now, you know that I began my career by telling the human stories, the stories of the victims of the many, many stories that we hear coming out of the Middle East, of the news that we hear coming out of the, the Middle East. Who are the victims? What are they going through? How does what we hear on the news affect them and their families and their lives? particularly focusing on the Middle East and particularly focusing on the country that my parents came from, Iran, when, you know, we've been following, obviously, all of the news that's been going on, especially in the last year since the Masa Amini protests, uh, focusing on the young people who have gone out onto the streets risking their lives, talking about their stories, talking about the victims, putting names with faces, with stories, uh, and talking about all of their experiences. Today, we have the honor of having one of the victims of Iran's regime, uh, who now lives in New York, who is a very successful filmmaker and activist, join us to tell us her story. I want to welcome to the show Azadeh Nikzadeh. She's a writer, a director, a producer, women's rights activist, and she's dedicated to shedding light to all of these different topics that I mentioned, but she does it articulately. She does it through beautiful film. Uh, she's a talented storyteller. She raises awareness. She fosters global solidarity, and she has had the opportunity to tell her story and to to show her films uh, at the UN, at the International Religious Freedom Summit, and of course at the Museum of Tolerance in Los Angeles. She's drawn to these stories that are centered around social issues and human rights and women's empowerment, and she is the founder of Burnt Generation Studios. Her body of work includes a series of award-winning short films. Some of these I had the pleasure of, of, of seeing at the UN. That's where I met Azadeh. Um, they're beautiful. They tell a much bigger story in a very, very short film. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you just the name of a few of them. The Girls Sitting Here, Vida, and X. And she has also um, had some feature documentaries called Safe Sets, The, the Left Bank, and The Credible Fear. I like to give these uh, titles out for whoever wants to pursue and, and watch. And I know that after hearing her story, you will definitely be more drawn and more curious about her work. Welcome to the show, Azadeh. Uh, thank you, uh, Lisa. Thank you for having me and the opportunity to talk to you and to your audience. You know, I, I obviously met you in New York. Uh, we both had films that were shown at the UN on the sideline of the UN General Assembly. Of course, some ugly things going on at the UN, but of course, in our, um, in, in our gathering, it was a celebration of women, life, freedoms, and Zendiki Azadi movement. And um, in, in speaking to you afterwards, when we both got home and we kind of had a few weeks to kind of let it all sink in, um, 
we had a really nice uh, phone conversation when you were telling me about your, the different things you're working on at the very end. Um, you said something so beautiful and that kind of kept reverberating in my head. And I thought, my God, she has to tell her story to a larger audience. And that's why I'm so glad that you're here today. And I remember you telling me how you grew up in fear. I mean, that really hit, hit home. We're probably around the same age. I don't, I don't think people who are in their 30s or 40s should be, you know, so young and, and to remember such such fear, to remember such, um, to be so terrorized, to be, you know, to, to live with that your whole life. It wasn't just something that was a, a, a short period of bullying or whatever it was. It was, it was systematic, as we say here. Um, you, you, you told so many little snippets of your childhood and why you grew up in fear, which is why I, I actually, we, we titled the episode, I Grew Up in Fear, because I want you to tell your story and how you grew up in fear. Why don't you give us just a, 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 a beginning synopsis of your childhood living in Iran? Yes, you know, uh, I was born after uh, the revolution and right in at the beginning of Iran-Iraq war that lasted eight years. And, um, you know, at that time, it was the time of turmoil in Iran. And unfortunately, the regime, at the, uh, like the newly established regime uh, in Iran at that time, used war to like really establish a systematic uh, terror on everyone like through like um, investigating or scrutiny into the lives of the personal life of everyone so i remember um you know i grew up as like someone in a, in a household that we were more progressive my dad uh did, like had that like more toward leftist uh ideas and he had like certain books and that were forbidden and certain ideas that were like for example he was drinking and that was strongly forbidden uh i told you that he had certain books that was kind of they were forbidden and he never you know he never believed in any religion at all you know so so far your your parents transgressions were that they your father drank alcohol yes. uh, he had progressive books he watched the news i think you told me that he used to watch bbc and other western news outlets and yes. this this always led to you being scared why Yes, yes. And also he uh, he wouldn't uh, do the prayer, like five times prayer that, um, you know, you're supposed to do. Uh, yes. So it was, and then, you, you know, that was the inside house, uh, our house. And then um, when I started going to school, um, the first thing was like, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone that, like, for example, your dad is drinking. Don't tell anyone uh, about the books. Uh, it's dangerous. And then uh, when I, you know, I went to school, I, uh, and of course it happened to me and I witnessed many times that um, our teachers would take us to a room and uh, ask questions about, uh, like, how, uh, how things are inside our home for example they would ask uh okay if you go to a party uh does your father drink alcohol and you know like most uh children they're like very very honest uh and 
they would say, yes, you know, they drink alcohol and, mm -hmm. like and then they usually ask, uh, do they uh, pray? No, they don't. And um, many times it would lead to arrest. Wow. Um, yeah. And that, that would be very uh, dangerous. And, um, and it happened to me too. Like they took me to a room, asked questions. I didn't want to say anything. I ended up crying. Wow. Uh, so they let me go. Uh, but this, it was, and uh, I remember like I grew up in uh, like fear because like I, I was told, don't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, risky. They might come and take your father. And I would grow up like thinking, oh my God, my dad could get hanged if I make any mistake. And like, it was like wow. a, a huge um, anxiety. Of course. You know, I felt I felt responsible for uh, my parents' uh, lives, uh, and it's something that I, you know, like it, it should never happen to any uh, children. Uh, it's and I think they, that systematic uh, oppression that at that time during those times it was uh, it was brutal. It was like really brutal, and um, like they uh, and then you know uh, they were. Uh, raising a generation of students that wouldn't say anything, wouldn't object. For example, if they show one pen and they say, oh, it's two, you see it and it's obviously one and you know it's one, but then you have to say, oh, yes, it's two. Right. Because of the fear. And um, and a lot of things I had school was just like, um, I, like all the colors at that time were forbidden. Yeah, tell me about this. You you talked yeah. about um, you had a pair of shoes that made you very nervous. Yes, I, I love them a lot. <laughs> and they were brown and they only had brown. So I bought that, you know, I bought them, but I was so scared all the time. I I, I wouldn't go near the, uh, like- Why, Why was brown forbidden? Um, that's that, that was the law. You, you could either wear uh, black or a very, very dark navy blue. And they, they were the only colors that were allowed in such schools. How old were you when you had these brown shoes that you loved? Uh, 12. So 12 years old, you get your shoes that you love and they're brown. They're not hot pink, they're brown. Yes. <laughs> I mean, even if they were hot pink. Um, and you live in fear of wearing shoes that you love because of, of, of school, the government, the brainwashing, the control. Yes, yes. Um, you know, our principal for us was like a monster, like, because they would come and they were always like, uh, whatever you do or whatever you say, you know, could put you in trouble. And they would come to these classes and search the bags. Wow. Uh, for any you know, whatever Western things that you might have. So uh, at that time, I mean, it's interesting because you're young, right? And this starts, this brainwashing starts at such a young age. You know, did you think my father's wrong for drinking and not believing in God and not praying five times a day and not being a devout Muslim and not, uh, you know, not, not, and having, you know, Western ideas and watching the news? Or did you think, you know, I can't believe we are living under this repressive regime. I mean, at what point did you, you know, was it always, was that what your, your family culture was that you were brought up thinking, 
outside they're they're wrong and they're crazy, but this is our government? Or were this was there any time where you actually thought my family is wrong and what they're teaching us is right and they have to to listen to the rules? I mean, how how what was the inner conflict that you experienced? Oh, that's very that's very interesting. Um, you know, like I think I my love for my father was like deeper than that. So I never questioned my family. And, uh, you know, I remember we had like, uh, my mom had like uh, photos of Shah uh, and the crown prince. And like, I, uh, I, found, like, I found them somewhere and I didn't know them. Mm. I would ask about them and they tell, uh, you know, they would tell me about like the story, okay, what, who they were. And I could see my uh, family, like my mom dressing in like a short skirt, like in Tehran, like very stylish with my dad. So kind of like new, and then uh, and then also there was something about like I had uh, I had access to uh, like Western films. It, it was one of the things that was smuggled into our house. That's a very oh, wow. funny story. Um, you know, like uh, we we had a VH, uh, VHS video. I think that's what it's called. So yes. they, uh, they, my parents they bought it. Uh, wrapped in the blankets wow with, like, no one see us and they brought that into our home and we had access to the films and you know at, there was I think I was 10 that I was able to uh I was a, I, a couple of things happened I was a, at 10 I was able to realize that okay they, they live a different life you know I could see that uh through the films and I could tell, uh, okay, um, maybe I don't have, why I have to live like that? Uh, why uh, others, you know, have a different life? That I think around 10 or 11, that was the age. Yes. But I started to realize that. And also like I had um, some memories of war, for example. Um, like I remember at the war, like they were like, at first it's a siren and then you have to hide. And we were used to hide in a basement. Right. So that's like basically like the first years of your life. Oh well, yes, it was. It was like I think I was seven, so kind kind of like that. I don't know, six or seven. And um, for me, like the basement was the safety. And at, right. when I was like around ten or eleven, I could uh, I realized that okay, if there was a bomb really hitting us. Um, I would never so survive the basement in the basement, so I was lied to, mm. and it kind of like was very, very sh like, sh like uh, all the uh, whatever my childhood uh, understanding of life shattered at that time, because I knew that I would I uh, I would have been killed. It didn't make me happy. It actually made me uh, very depressed and sad oh, uh, as a child. Yeah, because um, I felt like I was lied to. Right could understand like the difference like there is a life you know and I was asking question okay why didn't I uh why, why I wasn't born like for example in Japan or the USA why why I have to like have a life and that's a question that I still ask myself to be honest like wow. why I had to go through this but why it's not for others uh it's, it's still like hanging there for me it's, it's still hanging for the, the the current generation also um it's interesting because so much of what you say is is parallel to I didn't grow up in fear by any means. I obviously am the daughter of Iranian immigrants and I grew up and I was born and raised in the United States. But also growing up with 
parents' stories and seeing pictures of my parents under the Shah's, uh, you know, uh, reign and thinking, wow, why did it have to be this way? And why did I have to grow up in the United States? Not that I would want to live under the regime in Iran, but I would have loved to live under an Iran that is free because that's my culture, right? So it's funny because I think a lot of people always ask, why is your name Lisa if you're such a proud Iranian? And very similar to yourself. I was born, you know, in that time when, you know, it was after the Iran hostage crisis and nobody liked, you know, Iranians here in the United States. It wasn't a positive thing to be Iranian. So, you know, what's a popular American name growing up on the East Coast? Lisa, we'll, we'll name her Lisa. So that's how I got my name. And, you know, this the, the, this phone nostalgia, not to compare it to all this, the horrific stories that you're telling. Honestly, growing up in fear is probably the most damaging thing for a child. But I'm also glad to turn it into a positive thing, how your parents have the foresight to educate you about a world that existed beyond Iran, right? To, yeah. to see these videos and how much of your life and career was shaped by those videos. At what point did you decide that it was through storytelling, through video, through film, that you wanted to do this activism work to tell the world the stories that you carry? I think around um, 17 or 18, it was the time that um, uh, it was um, Saddam Hussein, they were like hunting Saddam Hussein in Iraq. And you know, like he imposed war on us and I grew up hating him. Uh, so I kind of like, I wrote a letter to him that I oh. forgive you, like really, you know, I'm, instead of being happy for his like, whatever was happening to him, I, I felt sad for him, I was pity for him. And I wrote a letter like, um, kind of like saying, oh, I forgive you. And then I had this uh, French friend that read it and sent it to everyone and everyone like, um, like all of his friends they were moved. And they, um, they told me like, oh yeah, we like to help you. Um, and that was like, that was the moment that I realized, like, um, I needed, you know, I can tell my stories. Um, and um, I always knew that I don't necessarily wanted to be a writer. But it took me a while to discover that it's through filmmaking. And like, mm -hmm. I went, I was able to go to a kind of so-called film school in Iran. Uh, in my city, I, I'm from Shiraz, so it's not the capital city. Um, it's a city in southwest of Iran. Um, so at that time, it was very everything was very limited, and we had to make films. And again, in that like, I was more kind of modern filmmaker. And in Iran, like filmmaking is such a taboo risk. Yeah. I mean, it's a risk, you know, right? Because right. Uh, because like uh, you have to go through censorship, and uh, and uh, the censorship at that time was easier because they didn't have uh, access to technology. Right. So there was uh, there was way for us to kind of get permits and make something Work around it, right? Yes, yes. Um, but these days it's very very difficult because like um, you have to you know your script should match a long list of things, right? Um, and if it's not, it's not um, you know if it's something slightly different, they don't let it. Um, well, from what I, I've, I've, I've interviewed bands before that, that were working inside Iran, and from what they have told me, you have to actually submit your uh, script, um, any cover for, even I remember at the time I um, interviewed this very, very popular band, and they had to even give the cover for the CD to be approved, and they had to like, uh, you know, revise the cover three different times because his shirt was, it was at the beach and his shirt was white and wet, and they thought that was provocative, and 
they had to keep changing it so the shirt didn't look as provocative. It was really, I mean, yeah. artists go through so much. And at the end, it still can be censored and stopped. And of course, as yeah, a telling the stories that you're you're trying to tell, I'm sure. Exactly. You know, because even if you get the initial permits and all that, uh, especially for films, then you have to, uh, once it's done, you have to again get permits, uh, especially for sending it to the festivals. And they can stop you. And recently, it was okay. They even uh, without permits, uh, they would send like Iranian filmmakers. They would send their films to the festivals. But if recently, um, they even uh, charge filmmakers and take away their passports if they do that. Wow! So yeah. they basically prevent an Iranian. I want people to understand this. They're the they're the government, right? They prevent their own from shining on the global stage at a film festival. They stop their own. They go into the top universities and they start shooting at their own. The top students who will shine, who will do, who will create things and have, you know, uh, uh, work in labs and come up with inventions. The best and brightest, they go after them. I mean, how is this a government that represents a people when they don't want their people to move forward and progress and to advance and to shine on the global stage, whether it's in film or karate or chess or whatever it is? Yes. Um, and it's very interesting because they have problem with like being uh, famous and successful and getting attention because um, I, it's like my personal idea because I believe they don't want anyone to shine behind the supreme leader. Uh, so they really, they're very, very worried. Yeah. Uh, and it was also a problem for me for a very, very long time to speak up, to put myself out there, to be success. And your success, success could be dangerous. You know, I want to talk to you a bit because we have a little bit of time about what's going on in Iran right now. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it must be hard because at the on the one hand, I'm sure you're happy to be away from it. But on the other hand, I, I'm, I'm sure it's difficult to watch your, you know, our, our fellow Iranians going through what they're going through. I mean, what kind of feeling do you have watching what's going on in Iran right now over the last year since the massive protests? More recently, just a couple of days ago, we had another 16-year-old who was beaten because of her hijab. I mean, you would think they've learned their lesson, but they've only gotten more emboldened to do more and more of this, to crack down more, to kill more innocent protesters. Um you know, what, what, what's your own personal feeling? And then I want to also ask you, what is it that you think the American audience is missing from the way that you're experiencing and watching what's currently going on in Iran? Yes, uh, that's a very beautiful question. Um, you know, like I've never been so hopeful about the future and the democracy in Iran uh, because I think it's, um, it's a movement or kind of revolution that started and it's, at the beginning and it's like like it's an energy like people erupt uh and that now it's a turn for the government to push back and then again they press that so bad again it kind of erupts and it's going to continue for a few years until like we, we see success and it's very important that um everyone especially like as you said american audiences they know that um, the fight is not over. It's happening and it will take time. And what we need to do is just keep that at the center of attention and keep talking about it and um, kind of know about the situation in Iran and like holding them responsible. And right. one thing that uh, I was say like, 
I, as an American, like an American citizen can do to help uh, women and um, like not only women, like the Iranian people in general is that voting for people that would consider that, you know, that they consider about um, the situation in Iran and they want to hold the Iranian regime responsible. Right. Uh, yeah, and I, we talk about this all the time on the show because it seems when, when you say something like that, it seems very micro to a lot of American voters who obviously care about the economy and they care about security and they care about you know jobs and things like that, which are very important. But what we've done time and time again is to draw the lines as to how many, how many global issues would be solved if we solve the problem of the Iran regime. It's not just the people of Iran. Of course, we were talking about human rights and we all care about human rights. And we should talk about human rights. I mean, where are the women's activists on this issue? Where are the gay activists? Where are the, the activists who care about freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom of uh, you know protest, all of that, all of that. Uh, but at the same time, we care about you know so many other issues. We do. We're looking at the, the the war in Ukraine and Russia. Iran's helping Russia, right? We're looking at you know global security. We're looking at Iran uh, sending um, military aid and other Basijian Hezbollah operatives to places like Venezuela and Brazil and Bolivia. Anyway, my point being, I think to your point, um, the Iran issue is much bigger than just what we talk about in terms of human rights. It affects everybody. It affects everyone here in the United States, regardless of Iranian background or not. That's, just, that's why we try in raising awareness to talk about connecting all these dots and talking about the responsibility and the, the tentacles of the Iran regime reaching so far as to reaching the Western hemisphere in the United States and, and all of that. Yeah. So I think that's very important. And my last question um, to you is about your work. I mean. I, I really encourage everyone to watch Azadeh's film. If you guys live, for those of you who live in Southern California, she actually will be coming. Is it confirmed, Azadeh? Yes. Yeah. She will be coming to um, a, a Women, Life, Freedom, Zanzanigi Azadi event uh, that I will also be speaking at November 28th in West Hollywood. Um, and she will be showing uh, one of her films there. Her films are so incredibly beautiful. Um, this is promoted by Women's Voices Now, as well as Empower Women Media, two amazing groups that have been really um, pushing the, the, uh, the and, and keeping in the spotlight um, the plight of Iranian women and sharing it everywhere. But also these films, they're subtle, they're powerful, they're beautifully done. Um, I got to see one that's called, I think, Temporary Marriage. Is that the title? Uh, the Girl Sitting Here. Is oh, the Girl Sitting Here is the, yeah. the title. Okay. It's beautiful. Will you be showing that in West Hollywood? Yes. Okay. It's beautiful. I encourage you all to attend. I will share more information about that event on my social and um, underneath the, the the post for the, the podcast as well. Um, to tell us, you know, briefly about your own um it, you know, your, your own personal work in connection with raising awareness about this. I mean, how do you hope from here on out to use your voice, to use your platform, to use the very unique perspective that you have, both as a victim and a champion? I mean, you are obviously a victim growing up in fear, experiencing this regime firsthand, experiencing, you know, suppression and repression of every kind. It doesn't have to be this, this specific regime. There are so many different kinds of repression how do you hope to couple this together as now somebody who's a celebrated filmmaker, you know, using your talent to tell these stories? 
Yes, I, I really want to, I'm working on uh, a couple of projects right now uh, because like most of my projects come from real events, real characters. And you know what I can do both for myself and all the people, all the people that like um, somehow went through this is, ju is just to tell the story and rewrite the history for them through my films and give them uh, power and kind of like create heroes. And I have a couple of projects I'm working on uh, that ex exactly do the same thing. They uh, rewrite the history. And at the same time, they will also, uh, based on real events that are kind of forgotten and censored and tell this, like bring that into each, uh, to the light and uh, hopefully uh, hold all those you know, people that committed the crimes responsible for their actions. And I think like um, conscious filmmaking and speaking out uh, is something that I can do to help, you know, not only myself, but everyone else. Yeah. That's beautiful. I actually, as you were saying that, I thought, well, you created from yourself a victim into a heroine, and now you're doing that in your narratives as well. So it's a beautiful journey that you've had and a beautiful one that you will share with the rest of the world through your films. I thank Shun Tabor of Empower Women Media for bringing us together because this has been wonderful. It's been wonderful getting to know you and, and your story. And I look forward to uh, speaking at that event with you uh, on November 28th. And I thank you for being here. For the rest of you who'd like to see some of um, Azadeh's work, I will link to her uh, social media platform. Forms. If you'd like to subscribe to our weekly podcast, go to youtube.com slash Lisa Baftari. If you'd like to subscribe to our daily email, uh, go to foreigndesknews.com and you can sign up there. See you all next week.